Dear Buddha, 2,550 years ago, it is said, you died, as all that are born do. And you died not without suffering, you were in pain. You said to your faithful disciple, Now I am frail, Ananda. I am old, aged, far gone in years. This is my 80th year and my life is spent. Even as an old cart is held together with much difficulty, so the body of the Buddha is kept going only by supports. And saying that, Buddha, you died. But before that, you had seen the spectacle of human pain, of disease, of aging, of death, not by your eyes alone, but by the totality of your mind. You understood their causes, their behavior, their effect, and also the way out of the entrapment of suffering. Within those pains, you saw a great truth, the truth of dukkha. Dukkha is the deep dissatisfaction, also experienced as stress, confusion, discontent, anxiety, fear, worry, suffering, that is present in the minds of the unawakened. But the dukkha you saw was not just your own, it was also that of others. It was the dukkha of the human family. Indeed, it was the dukkha of all beings, not just humans. And you taught us how to see, how to respond to that dukkha. So, as I said above Buddha, you died. But as you were no ordinary being, we use the phrase attain nirvana to describe your death. As you were phenomenal, many go one step further and use a more elevated phrase, parinirvana. And many go even one step higher in the exercise of word building and say you attained maha parinirvana. But these are words, only words. Since you lived so long ago, you've moved into the realm of ancient history. You're a topic in high school world religion classes, an exhibit in many museums. Your figure has survived and become ubiquitous worldwide. We see your peaceful face on advertisements, your meditative posture on lawn statues and fireplace mantles everywhere. We've become comfortable with your images, but not so much with your teachings. Why is that? Perhaps because as wise and beneficial as your teachings are, they are not convenient. In fact, in their identification of self-absorption as the root of so much sorrow, they are for many mightily inconvenient. Great beings in our times have read your teachings with deliberation, and some have tried to do their very best to do what you taught, to walk on the path you trod. And simple humans, pilgrims from far and near, visit the places in India and Nepal associated with your name. For them, you are not forgotten in the past, but are alive, an ongoing example of human grace and potential. Between your birth at Lumbini and your death at Kushinagar, for decades you walked on dusty tracks, on thorny paths amidst beauty and squalor. You mortified your flesh, fasted, meditated, and then after you became enlightened as a wandering teacher, you were a guest of the rich and the abject poor, the famous and the ostracized. Those distinctions of high and low, strong and weak, created by human ingenuity for the exercise of power and vanity made no difference to you, none at all. 
How could they? For you knew they were all afflicted by dukkha and the causes for further dukkha, ignorance of self, ignorance of others, ignorance of reality. But that was then, many years ago, and the purpose of this is to say something about how I, a modern-day Western student, see life as it is being experienced by so many of today's people, and to ask you a favor. There is so much pain on the planet today. In the United States, the divisions between people of different cultures and economic capabilities are deeper than ever and are rubbed raw by dissension, hatred, and jealousies. Driven by fear, tendencies to want to own rather than share, to dominate rather than cooperate, are intensifying. Manipulation and exploitation in seemingly infinite manifestations from subtle to harsh are present everywhere. Certainly in your days, there also were the exploiters and the exploited. And you spoke the same simple truth to all of them. You spoke as you felt, Buddha, and you felt as you saw, and you saw it all. I am reminded of you. I am reminded of the virtue of your messages and how in simple language all could understand you intervened to give women and the so-called lower castes a sense of their equality. And in so doing, you also told them of their equal vulnerability to the fires of dukkha that could consume them. You gave both women and the oppressed classes access, access to the causes of dukkha and the way out of it. You sought to spread the light of your wisdom, and you did. You broke through the walls of the privileged priesthood, which kept wisdom concealed in Sanskrit, communicating your messages in Pali, the more common people's language. You did just that, regardless of the educational or cultural level of those to whom you spoke. I am reminded of this as I bear witness to the communications of our present days. We have so many means and methods of connecting and sharing information with each other, and so very much of it is created not to share, but to influence, not to calm, but to sway and incite, not to create love, but fear. Such difficult work you embarked upon. And of course, there is still much to be done in your native land. Women and children living on the edge of starvation remain exploited physically and sexually. In India exists the highs of power, of wealth, of intellect, alongside the lows of squalor, deprivation, destitution. It is said that in India, only one in 10 has use of a toilet. Tragedy exists in the villages where thousands of farmers have taken their own lives, unable to bear the burden of debt. Domestic violence continues to increase and child marriage and old scourge persists. Your country has countless abandoned women left behind not by seekers of truth as you were, but by self-seekers. Women are trafficked, girls abused, and yes, female fetuses aborted. India's leaders continue to take the physically, psychologically, socially, economically, and politically voiceless for granted. Leprosy, tuberculosis, AIDS, and other deadly diseases continue to run rampant among your people. The coronavirus continues to spread and kill. 
There is great suffering in the villages where most of your country's 1.2 billion people live and time has all but stood still. Even though you spoke out against animal sacrifice, practitioners of your country's major religions continue to ceremoniously slaughter animals with their sacrificial knives. And all of this in India, the country of the Buddha. I remember reading that our planet is no longer able to afford humans. We are disemboweling the earth, heating its climate, removing its tree cover, dirtying its oceans, making its creatures' lives miserable. The Himalayan glaciers are melting. Parts of Scandinavia near the North Pole had no snow this past Christmas. So here's the favor I am asking you, Buddha. I'm asking it on behalf of the people, not only of my country, but of our world. Teach us how to conserve what we have inherited, not exhaust what is non-renewable. Teach us from wherever you are to take others' dukkha seriously, forgetting our own. Teach us so that we really understand that self-grasping and self-cherishing are nothing more than paths to suffering, and that happiness may only be obtained by putting others' interests in front of ours. Show us, from wherever you are, how to see ourselves in others, and others in ourselves. Teach us to heal, not to hurt. May I ask that of you? You became a Buddha and attained enlightenment. But may I be so bold as to ask you to please take human form and return to us, if not as a Buddha or a Bodhisattva, perhaps in another form in which you might have an impact. There are some in whom your ways and teachings continue to resonate, and for them you remain alive. But the vast majority of the world's creatures need you again. As I write this, I confess, a thought continues to nag me. I can't help but wonder, in this age of so much distraction and noise, if you were to come to us, would we take notice of you? Would we listen? Would we heed your words, see your example, see your wisdom and kindness, follow your examples? I don't know the answer to that, Buddha. Honestly, I don't. We have all traveled a long way indeed on a very long and winding road from the time you spoke your last words to Ananda. I can't help but feel we need you back again so very badly. Buddha, on this the anniversary of your birth, enlightenment, and passing into the brilliance of Parinirvana, my gratitude. This recording in celebration of Sakadawa 2021, commemorating Siddhartha's birth, enlightenment, and entrance into the perfect piece of Parinirvana upon his death was shared by Mark Winwood. Mark, that's me, is the founder of the Chenrizig Project, a Tibetan Buddhist study and practice group currently resident in Washington State and with a national online presence. You can learn more about the Chenrizig Project at www.chenrizigproject.org. That's C-H-E-N-R-E-Z-I-G project.org. Our accompanying music titled Jellyfish 
was composed and performed by the San Francisco Bay Area musician Bobby Vega and appears on his 2017 album, Matters of the Heart. You can learn more about Bobby and his music at his website, www.bobbyvega.com. That's B-O-B-B-Y-V-E-G-A.com. Or as he's very findable online, you can simply Google his name or look for his numerous videos on YouTube. We remain grateful to Bobby for his friendship, his talents, and his generosity in sharing his beautiful music with our listeners. Please feel free to share this link with those you feel that might resonate. Thank you for listening. And Tashi Delek, Sakadawa.